Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Lars Lindstrom here from Creative Income. Thanks so much for uh, being here with us. I really appreciate your, your time. You know, there's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of shows to listen to, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you stopping by to listen to this one. Um, I feel like we're making a difference. Uh, it's a very small difference so far, um, but but I'm getting I'm getting people uh, requesting you know uh, messages on Instagram. I'm getting phone calls from people I haven't talked to in a long time, just uh, reaching out to tell me what they've learned and uh, what they've loved about the podcast. It's been really fulfilling, uh, truthfully. And, uh, and I, I want to keep it going. So, um, let's keep it going. I'm curious, uh, what, uh, what sort of episodes do you want to listen to in the future? Sh- shoot me a message on Instagram. We're at creative, uh, income podcast, or I follow me on, uh, Instagram at jlarzl. Uh, shoot me a message. Tell me what you want to listen to. Who do you want to hear from? Um, and I can reach out to my network. Anyway, guys, uh, this is, this is a f- fun episode. Um, Mossy is a cousin through marriage. He married my cousin, and uh, and I just think he's probably one of the most talented people I've ever met in my entire life. He's one of those guys that just like can pick up anything, you know, guitar, piano, whatever, and he just excels at it. Um, he he doesn't do music as much anymore, but uh, his his story is incredibly fascinating. Um, he uh, was very involved with the kids' show, the Nickelodeon show, uh, Yo Gabba Gabba. He was the voice of Broby, the green one, and uh, played the live action character, Plex, the robot character, and wrote a lot of the songs um, for Roots, Erica Badu. He's uh, obviously very talented, but also very entertaining. So I think you're going to get a kick out of Mossy in this episode. And uh, here we go. Let's listen to it. Feeling good? Yeah, man. I'm feeling great. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. I just can't believe I got you on. You're like a celebrity to me. (laughs) <laughs> just, dude, the feeling is mutual. Uh, <laughs> get nervous to talk to uh, to a good buddy. <laughs> hey, hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you still my buddy? <laughs> right, that's it. That's it, man. It's, it's crazy. Cool. Well, Mossy, thank you much so much for being on. I already messed up. I was I was so nervous to talk to my buddy. <laughs> Mossy, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. Um, oh. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, tell the people who you are and what you come from, what you do. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, let's see. Where do you want me to begin from? Let's see. Like from the back history, or from right now. Let's so, no. Let's. Uh, it's up to you, I guess. So tell, let's tell us what you do now, and then we'll and then we'll go through your creative history. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, my name is Mossy Watane. Um, I currently live in uh, Auckland, New Zealand, and I am a publishing services manager uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. First so, time, uh, first time we've had a, reli- uh, a religious person on the podcast. I mean, we've had religious people on the podcast, but they sure. didn't. You know, that wasn't their career. Working in that space, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Mark, so, yeah. so you're marketing what, manager? So the publishing services manager basically mm-hmm. means it's a fancy word for uh, we take care of all of the digital creative, all of the creative, all of the sort of marketing, branding, visual identity of uh, the church organization in the Pacific area. So I'm just one facet. There's about probably 15 other PSMs all throughout the globe, and they cover different areas around the world. So my specific area is the Pacific. 
So we cover uh, basically from uh, PNG, which is Papua New Guinea, to Solomon Islands, Australia, New Zealand, Tahiti, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, you know, all the paradise islands that you can dream of, those are all in my area, except for Hawaii, which is really weird. <laughs> That's awful. But the United States didn't want to let go of that one. So I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our that's our vacation spot of choice. Yes, it uh, is. For before the shutdown, Kayla and I were trying to go there at least twice a year. Yeah, so I, I love that place, man. But uh, yeah, yeah. So how so how did you how did you get into what you're doing? Uh, talk to me about that journey a little bit. Sure. Well, um, you know, started off. Uh, I started off making videos with Lars, and we made this <laughs> really crazy dumb video about the last cookie like several uh, years ago when facebook i was, first came I, out. was I was hoping you wouldn't bring that out uh, bring no, that up Masia. Yeah. somebody go in the deep dark jungle dungeons I, re- I really hope they don't <laughs> delete that one right yeah um, i probably have so i, I don't know you know i started off my, my my family have always been sort of in audio and entertainment so yeah. my brother was in the Jets, uh, an 80s band way back in the day. So I grew up around sort of music and studios and concerts and events and things like that. And his, he married into a family that was really into entertainment, catering and all this event production and stuff like that. So we're always sort of around event production. Uh, I That's what kind of spawned my interest and um, just cut it all short, ended up getting on to... Uh, in, into a band that led into a television show that led into a, a, like a career in voiceover and music and all that kind of stuff. So Yo Gabba we, Gabba. We, we, yeah, right. We cruised through some of that stuff. So I, I want to back up just a little bit. Talk to me about were you making, were you able to make a living uh, while in this band or was it just kind of just a fun thing that you were doing and kind of scraping uh, by while you worked somewhere else? So definitely was something we were trying to figure out how to make a living in. But yeah, no, we were scraping by. It's the it's the classic like struggling artist trying to figure out how to make money and you know live while we're trying to pursue our passion kind of thing. So yeah, it was definitely one of those. We we sort of made money here and there, different <laughs> licensing opportunities and whatnot. But yeah, the money was always sort of like, now nah, we got to do it for passion, and then we'll then we'll you know, <laughs> and then we'll make money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you make so, a bunch of jingles. <laughs> that's right, make a bunch of jingles. Yeah, yeah. Then, cool. So, so you, so you mentioned Yo Gabba Gabba, uh, which is, um, I think, a, a, a TV show that a lot of people are familiar with, especially my our generation. Right? It was kind of yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to me about uh, about how that happened and and some of what your responsibilities were on the show. Sure. Um, so at the time, like I said, I was in a band. I was in a band called Majestic, which was a. Uh, a band that a friend of mine had started, and he actually happened to be one of the co-creators of Yell Gabba Gabba, Scott Schultz. He was a lead singer of Majestic. And let me back up, because I was in the band with him when I was in high school, but later on, um, the band had you know, long since disbanded, but he was still kind of pursuing different things, passions in entertainment. Him, along with uh, Christian Jacobs, who's the lead singer of the Aquabats. So the lead singer of Majestic, lead singer of the Aquabats, they've always had this sort of relationship where Scott would sort of DP on a lot of the projects that the Aquabats would do. I didn't know so, that. I actually didn't yeah, know that. And, uh, yeah, <clears throat> he was pretty much like their creative sort of go-to in the beginning. And uh, so Scott, the Aquabats, they got together and they created sort of this, uh, this yeah, 
this kid's show. And I remember it was really, uh, at the time I heard about it, I was working for another company, which was like a clothing company uh, called Low at the time. And our two warehouses were right next to each other. And so one day I happened to wander into the warehouse where they were doing sort of voiceover tests and whatnot. Yeah. And my brother, my older brother, used to do this. Uh, used to do this voice for Christian, the Tiki Taxi voice, which was like this sort of Polynesian, fresh off the boat sort of, "Hello, I'm a Tiki Taxi. I want to come and drive your taxi," kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, so they say, "Hey, bro, like your brother does voices. Do you do voices?" I was like, "Well, sort of." And uh, they're like, "Hey, can you read for this uh, character?" Real, real quick, do, real quick question: Did you do voices, or was this something that you just? kind of lied about or thought you could of course, or... I, of course I never did voices <laughs> it was just something I lied about right yeah but, sort of it, yeah I could think of something for sure I mean I don't know I was I've always been a character so yeah I just sort of came up with this random voice that had a little bit of a, a kiwi kiwi twang <laughs> um and they're like whoa dude that's a good one do it again and so i did it again originally i was reading for the big tall red guy muno oh yeah yeah and uh and so i was just reading i put the headphones on i walk in i'm like okay yeah let's try this and I, I remember thinking wow another like to me i was like oh another one of their crazy ideas like just you know yeah put we'll see what sticks in. yeah whatever <laughs> and so <clears throat> We did that, and then like the project just sort of kept rolling forward. They did um, they did a short like a short sort of take of the Broby of a Broby scene. One of the voices that I that I did was Broby, and um, he sings this song called "Party in My Tummy." And we did the we recorded the "Party in My Tummy" song in this. Uh, oh, I should back up. <laughs> Okay, I mean, when we were in the when we were in the studio the first time, literally, this is like this jankiest warehouse that you've ever been in. It's for like pest control or something like that. Yeah, right? Like right next to the freeway. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah. so I remember just pulling out and and uh, <clears throat> doing the read and thinking, what are they going to do with this? And I remember looking at the video, like the the, the like the concept video, and it was like in a garage, and like cardboard boxes and random stuff, you know. Like, so I was like what dude, this is crazy this is a crazy idea yeah so end up reading it we do party in my tummy and they do sort of a real like uh like they release a portion of part party in my tummy on youtube and youtube was like a brand new thing it wasn't really yeah. at that time it was pretty like well what is this new thing and you know nobody even knew what viral meant at that time so mm. The, 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 the video like had over a million hits in like a weekend, right? So I was like, what the Insane. freak is crazy? And um, wow. so they took that and the next thing you know, I mean, I, I sort of did the read and sort of forgot about it. Didn't really realize anything was happening in the background. And at the time, I remember they told me, hey, bro, we'll pay you like 250 bucks to do the reads and do all this stuff. And I was like, heck yeah, I need the money, right? Oh, 250? Great deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I went, I, I grabbed the, got the, got the gig, did the thing, and um, they couldn't pay me the, two, the 250. <laughs> and at the time, I was like getting ready to get married. And I was like, dude, I really need $250 so I can get married. <laughs> and, uh, I hounded him for for that money, and I remember when when Scott was cutting me the check, he like gave me the worst look. Like he was like, "Oh man!" Like giving me the look of like, "Don't you know I don't have anything right now?" Like you know, but bless uh, his heart, dude, he did it anyway. Yeah, 
And I think it's that kind of sacrifice that really like, because at the time, everybody was like in the whole production was just kind of putting their, all their effort into it for the love of the, of the series. Right. Like yeah. kind of like that guy's like the drummer guy's like, yeah, I don't need any money. Yeah. What, what, what year was this? This was like 2008. Uh, no, this would have been like 2006, 2000, 2006. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 2000, maybe. Two, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Because like I hadn't gotten married yet, but was planning mm-hmm. on it. And it was, you got and married that, in 2007, right? Like yeah, June like, or July. That's right. Yeah. So the following year, I remember when we, when we actually got picked up, I was so surprised because I was just kind of cruising. I, I did the, did the voice, didn't think anything else of it. And a year later I got a call and they're like, Hey bro, do you remember how you read that thing? Well, the show got picked up. I was like, nah, shut up. You're kidding me. They're like, yeah. I was like, who by? And they said, Oh, Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon. I was like, no way. I was thinking they were going to say something like, um, you know, some like sci-fi, something yeah, exactly. kids like, yeah. channel. Yeah. 2 AM run or whatever. What? Yeah. So Nickelodeon. Then, yeah, from that point on, it was kind of like everyone put all of their like love and like like everything into the show. And I remember we went when we got the first studio after to do like voiceover in. Um, the whole cast and crew and everybody came to like paint the studio because like we still didn't have enough funding to really like pay anybody yeah. or to, like remodel anything, but we came and painted the studio and made it look all sort of yo gabba gabba ish, if you would. And Crazy. like even, even my wife came along like and she was helping paint, Help paint. And all that stuff. Yeah, it did seem like a like a huge family operation because anytime I stepped on set, which is very few, I, I think I was there maybe two or three days total. Um, and anytime I was there, though, it was just like. Every, it was like friends and family only. I felt it felt like you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. Everybody pretty knew vibe. everybody. Yeah, it was a, it was a great vibe though. I loved it. Well, hopefully we made everybody who came on set feel like they're a part of the family. That was kind of the the hope was that everyone sort of felt like they could be a part of this crazy show. Yeah. No, and I and I think I did. I I think I took a lot of pride in it for absolutely no reason other than like you know, my cousin was involved, you know, or whatever. I, we, we, I think we even failed to mention that you're my cousin through marriage. You married my cousin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, I, married, so that's, I married your cousin. Yeah, that's the only reason we get to, to chat and hang out is because uh, <laughs> otherwise you're way too cool. You're just way too cool for me. Oh, bro, no, I always yeah. felt like uh, this guy, Lars, has far surpassed the talents of the normal person. So Why don't, why don't we just hold hands and scale together? I, True. That's, that, that's, that sounds fun. So keen. So keen. Yeah. Uh, so Yo Gabba Gabba did very well. Went four seasons, is that right? Yeah, or, or kind of th- three and a half seasons, kind of. Yeah, we did like a, we did four seasons, but we were trying to get a fifth season. The fifth season didn't go through. The fourth season was sort of a we didn't do quite as many episodes as the first three seasons. Okay, um, but all all out, I was probably working with Gabba for about seven years. That's so amazing. Seven yeah. years, and you and you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, is it because we did the live tour as well? So, yeah, was, I want to talk to you about the different because uh, at first it was Broby, Broby, right. uh, the right. green, the green one, as everybody likes to say, I right. guess. And then, uh, and then you started to do other things for the show. You started to write music, or you were Flex yes. the Robot. Uh, talk to me about some of that. The really cool part about the show was that it was non-union at the time. 
Mm. It's, it, it was cool and it wasn't cool because mm-hmm. a lot of times we would get overworked and underpaid. But um, So one of the benefits of being non-union is you could do that. And one of the sad parts about being non-union is you could do that. <laughs> um, Got it. So a lot of people would get burned out. But at the same time, they were just like everyone loved the show so much that they committed. Um but it also meant that we could wear several hats. So we didn't have to just be, you know, I didn't have to just be a talent. I could work in the office. I could work as sort of, you know, in the music department. I could work in, you know, live action wherever I wanted to go. Uh, well, as long as I would beg my way into that department or whatever it was. I yeah. And um, yeah, <clears throat> it was, I was going to school at the time at San Bernardino Valley College, way out in San Bernardino. And um uh, I had written this song um, called "Lovely Love," and one of the one of the actual musicians heard the song. He's like, "Dude, the Roots are coming. This would be a really cool song for the Roots to do." I was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah. Let me let me let me take that and remix it." So he took it and he remixed it, and then um, they submitted it to the Roots, and the Roots were like, "Yeah, we love this. Let's do it." So when they came out, they did that song, and then it put me then they just hired me into the music department. So I became part of the music team after I did that. (laughs) When when the roots play your music, then, uh, then you can be taken seriously. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was kind of crazy because I was like, Whoa. And, um, and then after that, I, you know, I got into the live action side where, uh, you know, one of the skateboarders were coming, they needed a body double to, to ride the half pipe with the, the plex suit on. Yeah. So I was like, oh, dude, yeah, I could do it because um, I skateboarded. And I was like, put me in the suit. Let's go. So th- they put me in the suit and I like rode the half pipe with the with the suit on. And suddenly I was a live action character as well. So a live action character uh, plex and then did what the voice. A, a common theme I'm hearing so far from, from you speaking is that you just kind of don't say no to anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, there's like these incredible opportunities. And I, and I feel like, first of all, you're just insanely talented. I, I don't know many people as talented as you musically and, and, uh, and otherwise, I mean, your, your voices are amazing too. I, I heard a voiceover reel once upon a time after you'd been in Yogaba for a while. And it was just, it's just, you got a lot of talent. Secondly though, I think talk to me about, um, what you're able to do to take advantage of some of these opportunities when they come along. What, what are you looking for? So, you know, one of the things that I think is really important, I've been listening again to one of my favorite books, which is uh, As You Think or, or As a Man Thinketh. Mm-hmm. And basically the book is about, you know, you, you are what you think. You are mm-hmm. what you, your, your reality is because you've made it that way, basically. Like your, your thoughts, the things that you think of most, um, you bring them to pass. And it's not necessarily that you bring them to pass, but they can't not be brought to pass when you're putting your mind to it. Yeah. So if your mind is you know, kind of the same thing that happens if you're like, if you're, if you buy a new car and then you see it all over the road, is it that kind of mentality a little bit where it's like, if you are thinking about something all the time, then you see those opportunities as they pop up. That's right. So that's exactly it. So yeah. what happens is like, you know, if you have positive, strong thoughts, then you're basically allowing yourself uh, to see the opportunities as they come up and you're less likely to be fearful because you recognize them as opportunities rather than, um, rather than, you know, Oh, is this something that I can do? You just have to say, Oh, you know, this what? is what I I've can... been looking for. Yeah. This is what I've been looking for. This is an opportunity that will lead to a, 
to the ultimate opportunity that you've been trying to strive for. Yeah. And so I think that's really what it is. And I think as I've sort of lived my life that way, um, you know, and you, you kind of have trust in yourself and you, you throw away doubtful thoughts and fearful thoughts that, um, yeah, the things that you do want kind of can come to pass, not without, you know, struggle or trial, but you're able to get through those like struggles uh, seeing clearly because, you know, you're, you're trying to train yourself to have those positive thoughts. That makes sense. It does. So if you had just been a, a voiceover artist for Yo Gabba Gabba, just Broby, um, and not a, a musician for the show and not a live action character for the show and not an office manager of some sort for the show, would you have been able to survive financially with just Broby alone? Uh, no, no, not at the time. Um, because I essentially had to learn some skills that would allow me to negotiate for myself because I was a free agent and I couldn't get those skills until I had the courage to sort of, um, you know, negotiate those skills for myself. Yeah. So trial and error, what are some of those skills? Talk to us about uh, what, what can creatives do now so that they're not taken advantage of in, in a, in a freelance uh, sure. environment. I think one of the things they have to do is be confident about what they're creating. Like don't mm -hmm. ever second guess your creativity because one thing that the internet reveals is that where there's one, there's a thousand. So mm -hmm. meaning that like the net you cast may feel like it's just really small because you've cast it into a pool that into a river, but the river leads to a lake that leads to an ocean, if that makes sense. So yeah. if your net floats down the river long enough, it's going to open up and man, you'll catch all these fish and be able to pull them back. And so yeah. you, you sort of have to be patient while you're waiting. Um, but, but uh, be patient as one who understands that when opportunity presents itself, you know, everything will be there to aid you to get that. You know what I mean? So the universe yeah. will be there to aid you. If that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. who, who did you have the opportunity to write for then on your Gabba Gabba? Uh, so I wrote for, man, several people. Uh, I wrote for The Roots, for Eric Badu, for uh, a few other, um, man, who else? Uh, uh, Jake Costa. Um, man, I can't remember. Essentially what that led to, though, was a partnership with this guy whose name was uh, Richard Nixon. And he was, or Dick's Pop is what they called him. He's a producer for the for the Roots, and he basically um, opened up more doors for me through the Roots. So anytime the Roots needed some sort of child child song or children's song, he would reach out to me, and I would write for them. Wow. And there was one where he recommended me to uh, Mother New York, which is a big agency in New York, and <clears throat> so I got to produce a song for a big campaign that they had for Reading is Fundamental, which is a, a, a national not-for-profit that you know, helps reading. And who ended up being on that track was you know, John Legend, uh, Regina Spector, um, who wow. else? Um, Jack Black, uh, <laughs> just a bunch of different random people. Oh, and uh, LeVar Burton was even on that track, so... Huh. Butterfly in the sky, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow, incredible. So that led to a, a partnership where, uh, you know, I did a bunch more licensing gigs through through, uh, through them. And then 
led to relationships with music supervisors from HBO, Showtime, different things like that. So I was able to write other songs independent of, you know, what they were doing. And I'm still getting paid on those songs, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. Did that also open your eyes a little bit to what you were worth? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, yeah, talk to me about some of those, and and if you're okay going into specific numbers, you know you don't have to be specific about which song it was, but what sort of returns were you seeing from from a licensing deal for a song for HBO or so you know, some sure. of these bigger things? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, so initially, what would happen is <clears throat> on on my songs for Yo Gabba, you know, I I was only making I made very minimal, like very minimal some like 700 bucks or something for a song that I would do wow. for Gabba. With and no then, licensing rights? No licensing rights. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I did a commercial with uh, Pistachio, the, the, the great Pistachio. <laughs> and the commercial paid me out more than I made in Gabba, in one season of Gabba, like for all incredible. the things oh, that I did. Incredible. And, and that, so that was like over $20,000, you know, $20,000, $25,000 for, you know, one, one thing. And that's telling you how much I was making at GABA was peanuts at the time. <laughs> so yeah, not very much. after that, it was like I had this like I had this sort of like awakening that was like, dang, dude, okay, I've got to be courageous and I've got to be like. So what happened is a lot of people know me by Mossy Watney. Um, my formal name, my real name is Amos Watney. And so yeah. I was an independent contractor. I couldn't afford an agent at the time. So I just made up my agent. And I told everybody my agent was Amos. Perfect. Like I had an agent and his name was Amos and Amos was my alter ego, right? Yeah. Talk to Amos. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to Amos. He'll, he'll get things for you. And I, I even gave him a different email address, right? Incredible. Go for Amos and Amos basically negotiated all of, all of the deals. And Mossy was still the lovable talent character that like, you know, the talent that, you know, I could walk on set and not anybody was judging me. And yeah. I learned that because <clears throat> whilst we were on GABA on the third season, I had to negotiate, like our negotiation terms came. And it, it was, uh, I was kind of like, look, we need to negotiate terms. We got to, we, we need to renegotiate terms because it's, we're a commodity now. We should be getting paid better. And your household name. Yeah, I didn't, I, I was feeling bad about it, but I, I also was like, man, Nobody's going to stop me if I say, no, we need to get paid more. So I asked, and what happened is, you know, we I started getting into this banter with the ownership, or well, not the ownership, but, you know, line producers, producers and everything about how, um, what should be budgeted, how much do we need and all this kind of stuff. And I felt at the time I was just kind of doing it for myself. But then suddenly, like, I could see, like, some of the other um, – you know, the voiceover saying, oh, well, yeah, we need to back you. We need to, yeah, it, this is for everybody, right? And so I'm like, oh, I, I guess, I guess it's for everybody. <laughs> sure. I didn't know that what I was doing was pushing, like almost pushing a, like sort of into a union, if that makes sense. I didn't I yeah. didn't realize that was happening at the time, but, but basically I was just saying, look, I don't necessarily have to do this. You guys got to pay me better. And it ended up that they, you know, they, they pretty much paid us what we were supposed to be getting paid, which was really nice. But then what happened is it kind of caused this rift throughout the whole um, production where, 
you know, people secretly would come up to me and be like, oh, dude, you did a good job. Like, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. But all of the musicians were like wanting to do the same thing now. So then they were, you know, sort of encouraged and went and did that. Now, is that good for a, for a non-union production? Not really, because there's not a whole bunch of money in the production. But at the same time, I mean, you have to sort of know what you're worth and go for it because you're not going to get anything if you don't ask. Yeah, and and you were worth more, and that's the bottom line. And yeah. everybody there was. I you know I saw what a tightly run ship it was. It was you had professionals across the board, right? And and they you know if you're not paying them uh, what other people at that caliber are being paid, then I think there there is some some uh, right. you know expectation. So that was like a major stepping stone for me, and it validated a lot of what happened later on in my career. So it like uh, just I, I went on to sort of like as I was studying, I started studying licensing and and branding. Like how do I license and brand everything? Because there were there were some interesting uh, deals that happened with Yogaba that probably could have been done better and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You know that. I think ultimately led to the, the the demise of of you know why GABA is still not having a fifth season if that makes sense. So yeah, just I had to go and educate myself about that. Interesting. So, um, why why did the live tour come about? Uh, the live tour came about because it was just you know that was part of what you know what what would eventually occur is they would want to take a, a live show on to essentially create more revenues etc. Um, one of the major things, though, was that it would help to sort of equalize or pay off some of the debts of the show, too. So the show, uh, it would help to finance the show um, <laughs> or help uh, sort of pay the back end to the financiers of the show. So the sh- so the live show went off, and man, it was amazing. That that tour was that tour was incredible. Like, uh, and um, you know, I, it's funny because I was a magician originally. And I wanted to play in all these amazing venues. And instead of being able to play as a musician in all these venues, I was in a freaking yellow suit, you know, like a yellow <laughs> robot suit. I mean, I even met the president, but he never met me. He met Plex. Yeah, he met Plex. He met, he met, he met the, the yellow the Plex guy. <laughs> but uh, it was like all these places, you know, like um, that we went. And I, I just remember feeling, oh, this is so ironic that I'm like at the – Radio City Music Hall, and I'm like in this kid's suit playing for a sold out crowd, you know. Yeah, one yeah. of the, one of the themes that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is is that success is not at all what it, you think it's going to look like. <laughs> right, and and I don't think that that we've had a guest that em, you know emulates that more than you. Because <laughs> here's here's a guy that is hanging out with Biz Marquis and Erica Badu and the Roots and Jimmy Fallon and the President of the United States, and they don't know this guy because he's in a yellow costume. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. It's super ironic. I remember every single venue would pop in. I'd be like, man, this was my dream, totally, but just like not a little bit different. Way. Yeah. <laughs> So, I have a guitar in my hands and I'd be singing with my face on a big screen or something. Yeah. yeah. What was funny though, is I'd go out to the VIPs like, and, and so they had other, other people dress up in the characters during the VIP. So mm-hmm. that was the benefit. I didn't have to be in character and I could go and I could see the lines of people who wanted to meet like the Gabba characters and things like that. I remember thinking to myself, yeah, it is kind of nice just to be behind the, behind the mask, behind the veil. Cause like nobody knows that it's me back there, but they, 
but like look at all the people who love Plex and it's just like amazing. So yeah. I thought that was really cool. And then even to this day, like I still hear, you know, people party my tummy, party my tummy. And, um, you know, I, it's something that I, I'm really proud of, even though like it's embarrassing sometimes and whatnot, but I'm still stoked on it, you know? So. Yeah, it's it's not embarrassing until I ask you to 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 say the uh, party in my tummy with the broby voice. Then, <laughs> yeah. then it's maybe a little hey, embarrassing. Hey, did you party in my tummy? Right? <laughs> ah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, I I may have had you uh, call some of my nieces and nephews and leave a voicemail once or twice. <laughs> that's right. In the past, that's, that's right. for sure. No, that's great, man. What a legacy. So so now you've got this experience. You you've got a little bit more um, confidence in the creative industries. Um, what did you then do after Yogawa kind of takes a stall and it's not really getting picked up for a fifth season? Um, sure. Talk to me about uh, Wilborough and then and then how that morphed into your current job. So I, in the meantime, while I was uh, still working on Gab, I, I finished school. Like I, I I went to I went to Brigham Young University in Hawaii and I finished my degree, my bachelor's degree in three hundred and sixty media, which was like a made up major because uh, yeah I did did. Like there was nothing I really wanted to do except for what I was doing. And it was funny because I'd be in classes sometimes and the teacher's telling me one thing while I'm really doing a deal. Right. So I was like doing negotiating a deal and the teacher literally just said something that I should say. So I'd like run out and be like, okay, this is what I need to say. You know, so um, education is a good thing in some ways. I think the most valuable thing for me um you know, going to formal schooling was the network that it created for me. It was just people that I could know or lean on or whatever. But when I got mm-hmm. home from school, um, basically I started, I started a media company. I started working with my friend, uh, Scott Wines, and he owned a content, sort of a, a, a baby content agency. And we started working together. He gave me my first gig in like creative agency and yeah. so i was like wow this is pretty cool because it's like all the elements of what i want to do and so we started doing that and he actually moved from california to utah and he said here you just take care of the business while i'm up in utah so i would essentially just eat like mail him all of the income that would come in and he'd pay me by the hour of how things would go right so mm. I'm like looking at this, I'm like, bro, I set up this contract and this contract and it's like, I could do this, you know? And so I basically turned out that he, we shared a, we shared a contract together and um, this was caused a little bit of rift too, because like, you know, it was a contract we shared, but uh, you know, he, he would have said that he owned that contract. So basically what happened is, we we parted ways. He he wanted that contract. I took it from him. Basically, <laughs> long story short, I uh, I stole it, man. I, I straight up took it. No, it was it was like it was interesting because it was. Was he okay with it? Uh, yeah. Eventually, after I paid all the taxes and everything like that, paid, okay, got all of the stuff paid for for, for yeah. that. Um. Yeah, so don't do that. Don't steal partners from your friends. It's not a good thing. It's not good for business. It's not good for business. Uh, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't steal it from him. We. It was a. It was a partnership. And uh, great. Um, but he, I did have to buy him out essentially. Yeah. And um, that's what happened. So it bought him out of uh, out of that contract, and then we. Um, uh, I started Wheelbarrow, and Wheelbarrow was essentially just out of necessity because at that time I I started to have a family, started to have some 
you know, kids and whatnot. I learned really quick about, you know, how to fake it till you make it in the creative agency space. Um, But what that did was set me up with more networks. So I was forced to sort of work with more creatives, figure out how to set up a company, set up some different uh, agency type type. Uh, work and contract yeah, and learn how to contract, how to create contracts with others, etc. And the whole licensing experience that I had from GABA really helped, um, you know, play into that as well. So started doing that, was doing really well in California. And uh, we decided to up and move to Idaho because we were doing so well in California. And that was a major mistake. So for, for mm. me, like looking back, we should have never moved from California. We should have stayed in California and let it grow a bit more. Um, right before I left, I was offered another job with uh, Props FX or mm. Props AV. Yeah. Um, and I thought about taking it because I wasn't sure if I was really courageous enough to take on my own business. But what ended up happening was I said no, and we took a wheelbarrow up to – Idaho. So I tried to hire a few people down in California to sort of keep our contracts going in in California. But when you're not there and you're still running a small business, it's really difficult to sort of manage that. So basically, Wheelbarrow started to suffer quite a bit, even up in Idaho. I thought, so I thought, oh, for sure, we'll move to Idaho. Nobody's up there. It's like farmland or whatever. And when I got up there, the competition was fierce because no kidding, I wasn't the only one with that idea. Apparently, <laughs> there were so many creative agencies mm. in in Boise, in the area, and they were just like they were hard to sort of break through. Yeah, so and probably fighting for for a lot smaller paycheck. That's right. Everyone's fighting, but uh, but they're also more established, so they were they were already kind of out they had more clientele mm-hmm. they had more space so and for me that was really disheartening because i was like trying to trying to grow well barrel but i couldn't because everybody already had a creative uh content agency they were working with interesting to, yeah i always i always hear people complain about uh california and and yes there are some things to complain about but then it's at the same time i have to remind them like i can't i can't charge what i charge in California, like I couldn't yeah. Idaho, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. You know, Not as a cinematographer, that. and and the pool and the pool is different, and the amount of yeah. work that's coming in is different. That's yeah. it. You know, like the the space. There's so many people and so much opportunity. That's the one thing. Everyone in California kind of has that entrepreneurial mindset, at least in Orange County, Los Angeles, Newport, that whole area, um, and uh, and in Idaho, it's kind of like you know they they do too. But it's more like you establish relationships and you you hang on to those relationships where everybody's just looking for a deal. Well, not necessarily. You still establish relationships in California, but there's just more of a pool to pull from. Yeah. So anyway, that happened. And so um, my my brother-in-law, um, my stepbrother-in-law, Scott, he actually had a, a plumbing business and he – Dude, he sold this plumbing business, uh, and uh, well, he was a partner on the business. He they sold it to a way bigger conglomerate, made a bunch of money, and then he's like, "Hey, bro, I know you don't really want to be doing like you know content creation. Why don't you, don't you want to do music?" And so he was kind of encouraging me to do music, hmm. and uh, he's like, "He's like, yeah, dude, I'll help finance you. You know, I'll help finance you, help do some of that stuff." So yeah, 
So he was, so we cut a deal together and we started working on music and I started working on music full time and uh, I got a manager and all that stuff. So um, started working, took a trip down to Salt Lake, did a couple of recordings and then ended up, you know, doing music. So I was doing music for a little bit and ended up opening up for uh, like Andy Grammer and a couple other people. Hey, did you, uh, the drummer that was just on, he's, he's his drummer. No way. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's his drummer. That's so funny. <laughs> right on. So yeah, he came up, opened up for Andy, and like uh, was doing a few more things that I thought, okay, we're. I felt a momentum starting to occur. And while I was on tour, I was touring. Uh, we did like a three-state tour, and it was this really janky tour that I was doing with these three other kids that were amazing, uh, the the Tuck brothers. And uh, while we were touring. Uh, I got a call from my wife who said that somebody had called from BYU it, to see if I wanted to come and take on an opportunity there. Now, at first I was like, heck no, I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. But when I uh, – Why? Why uh, why was the initial re- reaction no? Uh, I think the initial reaction was because I, I, I was like busy with my music. I was busy with my music career. I could see it's stuff. your dream, yeah. Yeah, I could see stuff happening there. Hmm. And uh, so I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But, you know, when I got back to the hotel, I sat down and, um, you know, sort of had my talk with had my talk with God and said, yo, what should I do? And I felt this feeling that I should come and go to, to BYU. And what was really cool about that is it, it, it took me down, down the space of broadcast and media. And, um, you know, I basically became the manager of all things media production at a university. So I had all these tools at my disposal. I was teaching kids how to do stuff. Um, and it was really amazing because I, I learned a lot about broadcast, which I had no idea. Nothing of, I knew nothing about broadcast before I went there. Yeah. So live broadcast production, all that kind of stuff. And To some degree, though, because you, you probably knew more than uh, I, I think most, you know, people would just because you were on a hit TV show that oh, yeah, did yeah, have cameras sure. that did have, you know, so I, so I think I, from what I, I'm seeing, it's just like your, your entire life just kind of builds to this, this opportunity. Just like you are probably hardly didn't even have to apply for the job because you were so qualified for everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, that's, what yeah. Happened. that's essentially what happened actually. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Cause uh, I didn't think I was going to get the job and they called me straight away back and was like, yeah, come out, please. We'd love for you to come. So we essentially just packed up and left Idaho and, and sold our house in Idaho and cruised out to Hawaii. And we were there for three years doing media production. So, hmm. yeah. So while I was in doing media production is when I got in contact with someone here in New Zealand who, who recruited me to come over here. So. so now, now, now you're. I'm assuming you've you've been able to scale a little bit within the organization, um, yeah. and you're you're now you're one of you said 15 uh, yeah. different. Uh, remind me the uh, abbreviation, the title again. Uh, it's called Publishing Services Manager, and there we go. basically yeah. we, so yeah, like I say, we we take care of all the publishing services for the organization within the Pacific area. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, <clears throat> I think at the time I was hired, I was hired as the youngest PSM um, in the, in the, basically in the world. So, <laughs> yeah. That's incredible, Masi. So, yeah. 
What, uh, how, how are you doing now? Um, are you, are you still doing involved with music at all? Or is it more just kind of from behind the scenes? Uh, talk to me about how you're feeling about, uh, your career path and, and what you're doing yeah. these days. So I love what I do. I mean, we get to help people every day. We get to create things and, you know, some of the assets we create now, um, have so much impact. Like, uh, last year I was able to, uh, create uh, an asset that has, you know, three, four million hits already. Um, you know, um, lovely love has some like 8 million hits, something like eight, 9 million hits. The, um, some of the other songs have produced have lots of impact. So for me, it's about like creating positive impact. And I think that's where, what my, my dream really is, is to be able to, to, to be a positive impact for everyone, whoever come, you know, whoever comes across and I won't lie. It's, it's an interesting road last year. Um, I did. Uh, I was able to speak with uh, Amir from from the Roots, who's well. You, what's his what's his stage name? Um, Quest Love. Okay. Yeah. Um. So and they they had a special project that was supposed to go on to. Uh, well, I'm not sure if I know if I'm allowed to say. It, but anyway, there's a special project that they're working on. They hired me to do a bunch of work for. So it was Incredible. cool. I got to do do some of that, and uh, hopefully we'll see that come out pretty soon. Um, and yeah. then there's still other project, creative projects that we're doing. But a lot of the majority of my time now is managing creative projects and helping other people understand how to create those projects. And for me, since I'm in the Pacific, a lot of the places that we're serving are sort of uh, third world-ish, second world-ish, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, not necessarily first world, but still kind of coming sure. up. So especially if you're looking at a place like Kiribati or Kiribati, some people call it, or like a place like, um, you know, Tubuai or like uh, um, uh, the Marshall Islands or something like that. Yeah, There's a lot of kids and people there who are hungry to learn sort of media and hungry to learn um you know how to uh, how to share things on video and you know yeah and so one of my favorite things is going to teach and share like how to be creative and how to get mm-hmm. it out there onto the internet and show them there's free ways of doing this you don't have to be like you know my first song that i ever wrote was literally on a phone the one that did really well i got paid this was for lovely love i got paid i think it was about uh it was 15,000 all out for 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 that song and I did it on a I did it on like my phone you know yeah. so yeah. <clears throat> the the opportunities are there like people just I, I think I was listening to Charlie Bo- Puth is that his name Charlie Puth I, I don't know that guy okay, sure. I think it's Charlie Puth I can't think that's his name anyway okay. he was going over his writing process and he's like yeah man I just come up with an idea and I record it on my phone and I'm like da 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 and then I go into the studio and I'm like and I that's you know, a great do idea. thing and so um, yeah that's uh, you know he's like some multi uh, platinum artist you know and uh, yeah well, I, I will say you know if your legacy is to bring joy to the world then you you've succeeded and and just about everything you've done from you know part a party in my tummy to uh, being a magician to uh lovely love performed by the roots on you know yo gabba and jimmy fallon and uh, you know meeting the president and and i mean i've, I've been in the room with you and um actually I, I did like a, a little bts on gabba one day with erica badu and 
and and she could not stop talking about the song that she wrote for just how sim- simplistic and and positive the message was and it wasn't even it was like just saying the words la la la, la you know what i mean it's just like yeah, this yeah. simple thing but anyone that i i know that knows you or has been have been in contact with you feels that joy feels that legacy feels that impact that uh, you really are it's like your your entire being is just to bring positivity to the world yeah so sure. congratulations and you continue oh, to do it yeah definitely i have some other goals that i want to do uh you know hopefully one day we'll see if they come to fruition um, yeah yeah I'm, I'm, do you wanna, I'm, i mean you want to talk about it? what's a, what's a, what's one of your goals let's let's uh, put the positivity out there so i have two goals one of them is obviously to start sort of a creative school here in new zealand uh, mm. for the indigenous peoples that live here uh the maori yeah the maori people um, nice. And there's already schools like that here. I mean, we're not like third world or anything like that here, but that we are sort of in this space where uh, there's indigenous people who have, you know, who sometimes are uh, underserved and et cetera. So um, I'd really like to start a creative school specifically for, for under, under, you know, served communities, things like that. And then the awesome. other, the other one is, um, I'm writing a musical that's that's been sitting on my desk for a few years and like it's it's time for that one to come out so we'll see i agree up, so. that sounds great so what, what kind of what genre is it like a rock opera or what's the what's the musical yeah it's really it's really um it's a sort of a time a sort of a a, a skip through time piece um so it's uh I've been working on it since GABA, actually. So it's wow. Been, so over, been, uh, over a decade now. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. And uh, I think I've got all the songs now finally finished. But basically, it's a, wow. um, it's 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 about, well, it's not a rock opera, but it's much like sort of La La Land, but sort of sort of different. <laughs> sort of, it's much different in in, in the storyline, but sort of that. Okay. Thing. That's uh, one. That was one of my favorite movies ever. So uh, if, it's any, if it's anything like the movie, then I can't wait. Yeah. So it'll be like that, but just with a sort of a yeah, a couple of different <laughs> twists because they're time pieces. So great. It's like a it's like a this back and forth trip through time. If that makes sense. Yeah. Two people's two people's parallel stories. Uh, kind of like what was that? What's that one show about the 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 lady who cooks and Jane and Jane or Lisa and Lisa? I can't remember. But, no idea, man. I'm so I'm so culturally uh, out of it right now. <laughs> anyway, it's just basically about two parallel universes and how they actually affect one another. Um, and uh, they both are brought success through through something that happens in the in the musical so i won't take too much but i'm pretty excited about it i can't wait can't wait to see it uh and and listen to it well thank you mossy so much i won't take any of your time um let's uh go ahead and tell people where they can find you if anywhere Uh, are you on social media at all or anything like that yeah sure just google me uh (laughs) uh you can find wilbromedia.com still up uh but if you really need me just yeah just google me and hit me up on facebook that's probably the easiest way you got it okay well thanks so much man really appreciate uh, everything no thank you Lars this was a lot of fun thanks guys for sticking around really appreciate the time and uh, if you appreciated the time if you had a good time let's go ahead and uh, talk to our friends about the uh, podcast let's let's figure out how we can share not overshare you know we want to put people off 
in a weird way. We just want to, you know, we just let them, let them know about the, the good news. So go ahead and share the podcast this week. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next time, guys. Have a good one. Yeah.